right, so today we are, um, we have a very special guest, and um, I had the pleasure of studying at University of Massachusetts with Mirto Lagaki. Mirto is the founder of One Breath Mindful Living Center. She's a certified mindfulness and MBSR instructor through UMass and an open floor moving meditation instructor. Mirto worked in corporate finance and has an MBA from Boston University. And she worked for 15 years as a consultant and marketing director in New York, London, and Athens. Mirto is a TEDx speaker and has been featured in international and local press. And some of her center's clients include Google, MasterCard, and Piraeus Bank, which is the largest bank in Greece. I wanted to speak a little bit about Mirto's um, influence on me. When, when I studied in MBSR through the University of Massachusetts, we had these groups. They were called affinity groups. And when we studied, um, we would do these like deep internal meditation practices. And then we'd, we'd come back to these groups and there were five or six people in the group. And Mirto was one of the people in my group. And I knew that as soon as I had started doing some reflection with Mirto, I had known that there was something very deep and powerful in her practice and in her presence. And she was a, a big influence on me in my, my learning there. The, one of the ways that Mirto influenced me the most was connecting with my body. So one of the things that Mirto teaches is this open floor moving meditation. And my practice before I met Mirto was very much, I would say, cerebral in that I, when I sat, I was very much um, practicing in my mind and sitting and learning with Mirto really helped me connect to my body. And I don't know if I ever told her this, but after um, learning with her and studying with her, I feel like my practice took a different turn in, a, in another direction where when I got home from this training, I was doing a lot more body work and experiencing my, my presence from my whole body. So it was, a, it was a deep learning for me to sit with her in this training. So I appreciate that. And um, I'm very, very pleased and honored because Mirto's busy. I'm, I'm honored to have her on the podcast. And for all of you that are listening to maybe um, get something out of her presence the way that I have. Um, so thank you for being on, Mirto. Thank you, James. Well, <laughs> if you could see me now, you could see I have a big a smile on my face thank <laughs> you for all these wonderful words. And thank you for sharing all that. Uh, yes, me. I, I did not have uh, a clue about all this impact uh, I had when we studied together. It's wonderful to hear it. And um, I do cherish the time that we spent uh, at UMass with you. It was a profound growth um, and uh, I'm very grateful to have uh, experienced it. So thank you for, for all your words. Thank you. Thank you. So, um one of the, the questions that I have for you today is, I know that you're doing a, a lot of teaching right now. Um, we had just talked a little bit about how you're, 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 you've been very busy teaching a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, groups and modalities. A question I have is, what has been an important theme in your teaching lately? Yeah. Uh, well, 
I guess the most important one for me in my personal practice, and then it, it is reflected into the way I teach, is uh, um, acceptance, is, is to be able to see things as they are and accept them for what they are instead of always uh, struggling to, to change them. And it's, it's uh, something that has uh, uh, been a theme for me. Uh, as you mentioned in this uh, short bio, I came from a world of uh, a very demanding world of, uh, you know, the corporate world. I uh, worked in very demanding environments for 15 years. And, um, and I guess the theme there was, you know, always trying to do better and never being really happy with what, uh, you know, I had accomplished because it was all the other, always another goal to, to chase after always something that I could have done better, always more things that needed to be accomplished. And I was really never happy with myself. Um, that, that led me to this continual uh, search for, for the, the unattainable and to a very deep uh, unsatisfactory feeling about my life and myself. So uh, this practice of uh, sitting meditation, mindfulness, but also movement has helped me um, be more in touch with, you know, what is in the moment, uh, not looking to always arrive somewhere else. That doesn't, of course, mean that I'm not, I don't have goals, I don't plan for things about my work, I don't envision, I don't dream, but it's, it's a matter of, uh, of having this more internal state of acceptance and um, uh, being more gentle with myself also, I have to say. So these are two things that, that are always present in my teaching. How can we be more gentle with ourselves, with whatever we're going through? How can we accept things as they are? Which is hard work, and it never ends. <laughs> Thank God. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's an interesting balance. It's one that I'm trying to work on myself. This balance of... Um, having goals and moving forward, but then also accepting where I am. So how is it that you work with that balance of, you know, having these, these goals and moving forward, but then balancing this other element that you're talking about? It's, it's a constant recalibration. Um, Cause my tendency is to always push myself for more. That's how, I guess I was since I was a little kid and also how I was trained at school and with my studies and the work environment that uh, I, you know, I pursued in the first, let's say, part of my, uh, let's say, um, career, or what, I, what I did to offer to the world. So I was trained to do that. So now I'm, I'm learning in a way. I'm learning that. How can I uh, stay true to myself, stay within my uh, boundaries and not cross over what I can do in this moment, but still uh, be happy with what I achieve uh, every day and the work that I put out in the world. And it has to do with listening to my body a lot, mm. as you mentioned in the beginning. So in the past, I've been known to burn out, <laughs> to mm. push myself to burn out many times and suffering for this. My body has suffered a lot, uh, many health issues that I've had to struggle with. And it's actually what brought me to this practice. So now I'm, I'm learning to um, uh, take, take pauses in the day and in general and sort of recalibrate 
you know, am I pushing too much? How is my body feeling at this moment? Uh, looking at my calendar every day and, lo- and, and, and reassessing if there's too much. And learning to say no, which has been very difficult. Because I am excited about this work that I do now. I feel blessed and truly grateful that I can be calling this a job. It's not really a job. Sometimes I stop and, and, and can't even... Um, grasp how people are paying me to do what I do. I should be paying them. This is what I <laughs> say that to myself sometimes. So I, I love what I do. And at the same time, I realizing that if I don't uh, respect my boundaries and respect my body, uh, then I cannot be of service to others. So it's a constant recalibration, tuning into my body and knowing where my... Uh, my boundaries are so I can be respectful and take care of myself every day. I, um, I had this podcast that I, I did the other day or a couple of weeks ago about how we were like plants. And what I was explaining in that was like, if, cause I have a garden and I, I water the, the plants every day, but then when it comes to my body, maybe it's not something that I check in every day. So I started to see it as like, what makes me any different? Why shouldn't I be tending to the garden of my body every day, the same way that I tend to my garden? And it sounds like that is something that really helps you personally and your practice as a teacher is like when the body is communicating, you're listening. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's it's interesting to hear that because I'm I've sort of been exploring a similar sentiment. Another question I have for you, Mirto, is I know that you've studied with a lot of important teachers across the world. Who would you say has influenced you the most and what have you learned from them? Well, that's a big one. I know. Many, I know. (laughs) Um, Well, a big part of my uh, journey. Uh, into this this self-discovery and meditation has been quite lonely um, because I did start practicing completely on my own um, eight years ago. When was that? And mindfulness was not something that was discussed here in Greece. It was not known, in fact. uh, And still, it's it's, we're pioneers, a couple of teachers here in Greece. So I was uh, completely alone. So I, I just picked up uh, a practice. I started with Vipassana and, and I just uh, practiced for years and years on my own. Uh, so, so the first part, let's say, of my journey was mostly trusting that I have the teacher in me. Uh, and this is how it was. I didn't choose it. Um, it's just how it unfolded for me. So, and that was, I think, one of the most important teachings for me to be able to trust that um, I have the answers inside if I take the time to pause and listen and be true to my practice. And, um, but then it was comforting to be able to feel nourished from teachers. And, and I haven't had the pleasure yet to see her in person, although I did apply to one of her retreats last year and then last minute I had to cancel. But I think I would consider my greatest teacher, um, Pema Chodron, as I said, I haven't studied with her in person, but, but her teachings and her books have been the guiding light 
in my life and my practice, um, completely transforming the way I see things. So if I had to choose one, I think it would be her. Okay. Um, and then there's been so many others um, in many fields um, that I'm deeply grateful for. Uh, also my teachers in Open Floor, Laurie Saltzman and Kathy Altman, who are so experienced in the work, embodiment work, and just being able to study with them intensely during their teacher training has transformed the way I see uh, my physical presence and also how I relate to my body and in my work, whether it is movement meditation or mindfulness, because because we're never really apart from our body. It's it's part of every practice that we do, whether we're sitting or, or dancing or moving. And so they've, they've been a huge influence and all my teachers in Open Floor, actually. Mm. You mentioned yeah. that uh, Pema Chodron has been your guiding light. What would you say is like one of the big messages that you've received from her teachings? Well, I think the first book that I read from her was The Wisdom of No Escape. Um, and uh, basically, that's the teaching of acceptance, which is what I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast is, you know, just being able to be with things as they are and stay, stay with whatever it is. Um, I was going through a very difficult time at that point in my life. And that's why I turned to meditation. Everything was falling apart. Um, she actually has this other book called When Things Fall Apart. Yeah, I don't know if that was the first one. Maybe it was that. Anyway, it's the same message. Uh, so everything was falling apart in my life. <laughs> so I, uh, I just found uh, just when everything is falling apart and there's no ground under your feet, uh, how do you stay? Uh, and, and it was just this notion that was completely different than anything else I had come across in this sort of journey of you know, finding myself, which has started many, many years ago. I, I always was looking for uh, you know, ways to understand myself and just to understand what it is to be human. Um, so that was radically different instead of saying, okay, you should be looking for something else and to be better and to get rid of all these things that are causing you unhappiness. Uh, there was she with her words of, you know, can you just be with what is and just accept even the crappy part of you, even the fact that everything is falling apart, can you be uh, at peace with it? So it was, it was radically different, and it made me change the way I relate to everything. Uh, and for that, I'm, I'm deeply grateful. She doesn't know that, but I have her picture next to my bed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, every night, uh, I, I just feel um, just deeply connected with her teachings. Well, it sounds, like, um, it sounds like what you're saying is an acceptance where... Yeah these things are were happening in your life that were difficult and maybe in the past you had responded another way but now with her guiding light it was more of an acceptance and taking it as it is and that's really this one of the central tenets to a lot of these different schools related to mindfulness and meditation and really i think in in a lot of ways they can all be um, boiled down to this central tenet of just like acceptance and what it means to really deeply accept. Uh, another thing that you were mentioning before, it sounded to me like um, gratitude when you were reflecting on how it doesn't feel like a job and how sometimes you have to stop and 
ask yourself, how are people paying me for this? So to me, that sounds like gratitude, like ch constantly checking in and being grateful for the opportunities that you have. And that's something that is also what I would consider a central tenet in my practice. Those two things have been, and in my teaching, acceptance and gratitude. So uh, on those two respects, I can, I can really resonate and connect. I have uh, another question for you here. What I, I know as part of your training, you sat in some silent retreats. What, this is another big question, and, uh, but this is what I think will bring value to the listeners. So what do you think is one of the most important things that you took from your silent retreat experiences? Uh, well, I guess the, the most important was the, uh, the importance of community for me, because as I said, I did start on this path completely alone for many years. I mean, for six years, I practiced alone. So, um, so I'd never been, you know, practicing in a big group, maybe with one other person, maybe I had a friend at the end that was sort of sharing some of what I was doing. But um, so for me, the, the just the, it was uh, it was overwhelming to be able to share my practice with a, a big group of people, and to know that we are connected even though we're we're not sharing anything but the sound of our breaths and just our intentions to be present. It was just uh, beautiful. It it moved me beyond words. Um, it was overwhelming in, in a way, in the sense that it. Uh, it just uh, gave me a sense of uh, belonging, uh, a sense that I'm not alone in this in this practice. I'm not alone in this path, um, and uh, it just made me realize how much I was longing for this uh, community, even though I didn't really know that it could be that way. Mm. So that that was the greatest, uh, I think, what I would take from the first one. Um, you know, I have um, I have a, a similar story with my first retreat. It was a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat, and um, at the end of the 10 days, I we were able to break this silence and actually make eye contact again, and I was in the bathroom brushing my teeth, and I looked to a gentleman to the left of me, and we smiled at each other, and that was really the experience of the whole retreat to me, was recognizing the importance of that connection with another person and what it means to me to not have that for 10 days, so really i i connect there as well uh mm -hmm. i i appreciate all you're sharing with me i know that you have um i know that you're busy and that we only have a certain amount of time so i wanted to give all the listeners a chance that if they wanted to find some of your work how can they learn more about what you are teaching how can they access your work uh the best way is the website that we put together it's uh, onebreath.eu it's the, the url for our website um and there you can find everything we do we have an instagram account that we're struggling to maintain because it's just such a hassle with social media but but uh, you know it's there so it's onebreath.eu on social media we're also on facebook it's called one breath meditation um and there's this tedx talk that i did in november uh, last november and it's uh, it's I think it's coming out pretty soon. It's still being processed. It takes, I guess, a few months for it to be translated and prepared to be uploaded on the TEDx site. So 
at some point uh, uh, you would be able to find that up there. I'm talking a little bit about my, um, my journey, about how I came to this practice and how the power of silence and meditation helped me love myself, basically. Um, so you'd be able to find that soon, I hope. Okay, well, I'm looking forward to that coming out. Um, and in this, and thank you for, for, for being here and sharing all that with us and with my listeners. I think that they're really going to be able to get some value out of your teachings and your presence because I know I have. And um, I just wanted to thank you again for giving us your time. And in the spirit of um, you and mentioning it being important, the community, the sense of community and not having this journey alone, it's, I want to say that I'm grateful to have you along this journey with me, even if it's only in this capacity, you know, talking a couple of times a year, it's, it's nice to have that sense of community and people that I feel so aligned with. So I'm very grateful for you being on my journey with me. Thank you. I feel the same way. We're, we're separated by uh, thousands of miles and lots of water, but uh, I do feel connected to this community and to you. And I'm very grateful for having me, for you having me on your podcast. It's great work that you're doing and I hope it reaches many people because I know it comes from your heart. Thank you. Thank you, Mirto. Yeah.